Welcome to the Women Encouraged Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to share these conversations with Christians who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. I'm praying this episode is a blessing to you and that you'll be encouraged to apply the gospel to this topic and walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the conversation. I'm so thrilled to welcome Abby Hutto to the Women Encouraged podcast. Abby, thanks for being here today. Oh, of course. And we are thick in preparations for Christmas as this airs, and I'm so thankful to get to chat with you about the heart of the Father for us, um, especially in the middle of this season. So welcome. Thank you. Would you share uh, just a bit about who you are, your story, maybe some of your testimony if you want? Yeah. um, yeah, your current yeah. work as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So I let's start currently. I am um, a mom of two beautiful children. I have Hannah, who's 15, and Harry, who is 14. And I'm married to Ken. We've been married for 16 years. Um, and I live in Westerville, Ohio. And we are a part, I'm on staff of a little tiny church plant called Story Presbyterian. And it is it is probably my third child. <laughs> I love to uh, to fulfill my role there. I'm the uh, director of spiritual formations, and um, I have the joy of getting to walk with people um, wherever they are in their spiritual journey when they come to us and and help them think through what would it look like to grow and mature in their faith with Christ. So um, it's such a, a beautiful job that really um, was handwritten for me by my pastor, who's uh, such a saint. And um, knows that I have a big mama's heart. And so wanted to have a mama on staff, someone who could come alongside uh, the children of God and help them grow. So that's that's my role there. And we've been in the Columbus area for over 12 years. I was I spent 10 years as a director of women's ministry before this job at the church that planted us. So um, I've been in ministry for a while now and I grew up in a ministry home. My dad um, is a recently retired uh, pastor in our denomination, which is the Presbyterian Church of America. Um, and they have retired and moved in half a mile from my house. So that's been really fun having my parents oh, nice. here. And my dad and I teach a class together at our church, which is really sweet. <laughs> so Aww. we've uh, it's just fun to see three generations together at church um, and, and investing in the same the same group of people. So that is kind of where I am currently. I did grow, obviously, grew up in a Christian home because my dad's a pastor. Um, But a big part of my testimony is sewn into this book in that um, I truly did not have a good understanding of who God is as father. Um, And I think that's all of us. I do believe we all struggle with this. I love how J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he talks about how, why would God choose to identify with a word, the word father when he knows how broken that example is going to be for us? And yet he does because he intends, he intends to redeem that for us. And that truly has been my story these last few years is just watching God redeem who he is to me through the life of his son, Jesus. And um, this book was really born out of um, my own desperate heart. Uh, I was on staff at our at our mother church, which is called Walnut Creek Presbyterian and director of women's ministry. I'd been there about five, five-ish years. And I just was completely burned out. 
and angry all the time and crying all the time, <laughs> just really struggling and realized just through spending some time with the Lord that the problem was not as I assumed with everyone else around me, that if they could just get it together, uh, right. my life would be so right. much easier. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> or if I could it's just get this situation. Want. I know. Always we look outside first. Um, yeah. And he very tenderly revealed to me that at the heart of who I am, I had a very skewed view of who he is. And that so much of the way I viewed him was um, a God who was always trying to catch me to punish me. Um, and so I just lived in fear and living in fear for, I was, you know, 30 years old at that point and living in fear for that long. Um, because I became a Christian when I was four. So, I mean, just a, a long time to have bad patterns. They felt very much set in stone for me. So yeah. he reveals this to me and then I think, well, okay, but how, like, how do you relearn how to see? When you have these ruts in your heart and in your mind and your brain immediately goes towards, why are you punishing me every time something bad happens? Right. Um, I just, I felt so conflicted and confused. And I mean, I don't want to say it was like an audible voice from heaven, but it was like almost an audible voice from heaven. Um, just impressed on me this, this request to study the gospel of John for myself. Mm. Um, yeah. And to re-look at God through the eyes of his boy, Jesus. Um, and that that was a game changer. And I, I told, I, my mom has heard me say this and we joke about, you know, how it feels for her. But like, I talk about how I may have become a Christian at 30. I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> and well, so, that's, that's relatable in a big yeah. way. because and, and if you think about like, yeah, you, you took those first steps of faith maybe when you were four. But mm -hmm. I thought. I have a, a similar kind of a testimony where I've never known a day apart from the Lord. Um, remember really accepting Jesus, if you will, when I was four, but it really wasn't until I was about 27 that God really opened my eyes mm -hmm. to who he is. And that's such a neat experience where it's almost like you're reborn again, you know? Yes. You get the joy of it all over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting. It is. And I really think, I mean... We, we think in such linear terms, but God yeah. is always seeing past, present, and future in every moment because he exists outside of time. And so there's just such beauty in that to know that mm -hmm. maybe there are many reawakenings in store for me. I hope so. I hope my whole life is one reawakening after another. That would be a true joy to experience. Absolutely. That's beautiful. So you wrote this book, God for Us. Um can you talk about what led you? I mean, you kind of started off with talking about what led you to share about this specifically, but what is the goal of this book um, yeah. specifically for the women that are the, or the men too, as well, yeah. that, um, that you've written this for and, and why do you feel this message is so needed for everyone and not just someone with your personal kind of experience? Yes. Yes. Well, and that's, that is one joy of being in ministry is that you do get to hear so many different stories told from so many different perspectives. And so as I am looking at um, the Gospel of John for myself, I am a teacher at heart. And so I, um, I did think, all right, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste this. I'm going to write curriculum. <laughs> and so as I was um, studying the Gospel of John for myself, I spent about 450 hours studying this one book, which took me about almost a solid year of just sitting with God for hours and hours at a time. It was 
my son and my youngest had just gone to first grade. So God had opened up um, hours for me to be able to do this, which was so kind. And in that space, I wrote this curriculum and I began to teach it to the women at my church. And then I developed some talks out of it, which, um, cause I also speak a fair amount. And so as I'm, you know, working with the women at our church and then speaking, um, in different places, I'm just realizing, man, it doesn't really matter what your background is. <laughs> like we all come into this world with a pair of glasses on through which we see the world. And every one of us in, situations in life, like the pain we experience and the brokenness of this world. It's, it reminds me because I was a child who wore glasses. Like every time you fall down, there's just another crack in your lens, another crack in your lens. All these experiences in life come together to crack and break your lens and you can still see God, but he's distorted through these experiences that you've had. And we all need to come back to his word and say, okay, who are you? Who are you really? because I need to know. And just hearing so many different people from different cultures and backgrounds and ages and stages of life asking that same question, I was like, oh, I think there's something to this. <laughs> yeah, I would love wow. to be able to help people relearn to see God in, in the ways that he helped me relearn to see who he is. And so I actually never intended to write a book. I'm primarily a speaker and I'm not writing is laborious and hard for me. <laughs> so I think we, my editors and I, I think we rewrote this thing like four times. <laughs> so it, was, it was a lot of work. Um, but I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful to the finished product is more than I could have hoped it would be. And just hearing people respond to different characters in the story um, and how they relate to um, all these different stories that we're telling. And we're really telling one big story that we all have this broken lens of who God is and Jesus comes to retell us who his father is and to reshape that lens for us. Yeah. So my hope is that I intentionally wrote it for, for people who are somewhat familiar with the Bible. So um, ideally, like maybe has gone to church some when they were younger or have just grown up around Christian ideals. Um, but I did try to also write it in a way that a non-believer could pick it up. Um, yeah. and relate to something um, and find Christ in that. So it is my goal that people who feel far off hear a call to come near to who God is. It's such a, I, it is the call through that book that it is absolutely obvious. And I love, love, love how you use the gospel of John to just really draw the reader's attention to what God is showing us about himself. And you just kind of travel this road through John. And, um, but one thing, like if somebody just doesn't know anything about this book, one thing I just want to point out is that you kind of, you personify the characteristics of these various struggles and the pain that people are going through. I mean, just, and even sin struggles and sins, you know, people that might be trapped in a particular kind of Mm -hmm. a sin pattern um, that people go through when they're not really truly seeing and understanding who God is and believing that. Um, and I, I mean, there are a couple of chapters that I was personally so moved by. Mm. Um, I'm wondering, I mean, you can share whichever ones you would love to share about. <laughs> I, I mean, I would be content if you went through the whole book with us. I, I know, know we don't really it's have so that, hard to take. Just thinking about, I mean, just even thinking about this time of year, we're focused so Mm -hmm. much on the incarnation of Jesus and what this means for us. And, you know, 
it's easy as believers to say, yeah, we know the story. We know what God's doing. We know the end of the story. And and to just kind of write off the coming of Jesus and get involved in the busyness of the Christmas season. But when we really pull back and we say, Jesus came to be a man who accomplished this and mm-hmm. who communicated God's heart for us in this mm-hmm. way. I just, I think it's such a powerful thing to look towards the the adult life of Jesus and what he communicated about himself in the, in the gospel of John um, and really get a picture of the whole purpose of his coming. So tell me, yes. tell us <laughs> anything you want to about these chapter titles um, and, and how God meets us in the middle of these struggles and sins and, and just how he's a God for us. Yes. So the whole idea behind this book was really is born out of the first chapter of John, which basically tells us that as we enter into where Israel is in their history, they have the law, they have the Old Testament, they have the prophets, they have their history, and yet they still did not know the heart of God. They were distant from him. And so God, we it's, it's famous first chapter of, of John, God put on flesh the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He set up his tent and lived among us. And so that as I was thinking through, like, what could a book look like that, that would express the heart of God? I thought, I really want to put flesh on these concepts. So if Jesus puts on flesh so I can know his father, how do we put Mm. flesh on these concepts of the things that make us feel far from God and show people how he enters into each of our stories. And so the book is set up, if you haven't had a chance to read it, you know, just a quick overview, it is set up, it's 13 different chapters and each chapter has a different name. So uh, for example, like it's a God for the distant is what starts us off. And then we tell um, distance story, which, you know, spoiler alert, it's mine. So I start out with my own story and then we move into other, um, other chapters like a God for the skeptics, a God for the desperate, a God for the ashamed, the afflicted, the grieving, the captive, the betrayed, um, the wounded. And we end with a God for the failures because the reality of life is we're all these things. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish yeah. we were only one chapter. And But the thing that yeah. I keep hearing from people is, oh my gosh, I could identify with every chapter. Um, and so we yeah. tell a different person's story in each chapter. Then we cut to the gospel of John and then we wrap up how this person's story, um, how God met them and redeemed them. So just to kind of give an example, I will walk through desperate because he is one of my favorites. Um, And so um, one thing, just as a side note, every one of these people, they are my personal friends. (laughs) So they were so brave to let me tell their stories. Um, And, but it's been so, it was such a gift to me to get to, I mean, it makes me want to cry every time I think about it, that they offered their lives up and said, here's my story. I want you to see a really good God in here and how he has redeemed me. So Desperate um, is a friend of mine who is a recovering sex addict. And we start with his story um, at the beginning of chapter three. And we talk about um, just what was he looking for in this addiction when he's lost and when he's caught up um, and he's enslaved to this addiction. What is he looking for? What is he longing for? Um, and I love, absolutely love that Desperate was a believer this whole time, because I think there is a little bit of a misunderstanding in our hearts and minds that, you know, we have these struggles and then we come to Christ and then magically they disappear. Um, but the reality of life is sometimes that does happen. Sometimes God does relinquish the captive in his kindness, but sometimes we still struggle. And who is God 
in my struggle is a big part of the, one of the questions that drives this book, who is God when I'm in pain and when I'm struggling. And so we look at, we look at desperate and just what was going on in his mind and his heart. And then we cut over to the woman at the well and we look at what's going on in her mind and her heart and what drives her to that well, what ultimately drives her to Jesus. And we see Mm. Jesus come to her in an intimate and precious way and speak into her story. And then we go back to desperate story and we watch Jesus speak into his story and rescue and redeem this part of his story. Um, And I think a huge part of what I want people to hear throughout this book is your your failings and the things that you're most ashamed of, the enemy would want you to keep quiet, but your God is a God who redeems and who restores in such a way that these become songs of praise about him. And so we should never be ashamed of the places where we have fallen and where we have sinned when we have a God who comes in and redeems those things for his glory and for his praise. And so a huge part of what I want people to receive from this book is hope that if you are enslaved to sin, as we all are, um, that you would see a God who is big enough to rescue you and not only just rescue you, but redeem you in such a way that you will be incredibly useful in his kingdom. You have a purpose. Yeah. Um, even in your brokenness, there's a purpose in that. We have a God who's able to do that. So, um, so I love, I love desperate. Uh, I love them all. So it is actually really difficult to, um, to pick, but I, I also really love afflicted. Um, she's mm. about right in the middle of the book and she's actually the, the first story that, um, that I, she's the first chapter I wrote. So she was the first person I interviewed and, um, she's a woman who, when I, when the chapter starts out, um, she, uh, was, part of our community and she was pregnant with twins and she, um, she lost her twins during, during the Christmas season, um, during Advent. And, um, it was so, so sad and so difficult for our community because we had been praying and praying for her and for her husband as they'd struggled with infertility. And when I helped her plan, um, the memorial service for her twins, she shared with me that that was actually her fifth and sixth baby to lose. And so it was just this terrible wow. grief of loss after loss after loss. And where do we go with that? And, and when we're people who believe that our God is not, um, that he stands sovereign over these things, that he's not independent from our pain, that adds a new level of, oh, now I've got to process that too. I have to process that God is sovereign. And, and yet, what do I do with this pain? And yeah. so in her story, we look at just what it feels like to lose so much so often um, and to ask the questions of, is this my fault? Am I being punished? What's wrong with me? Um, and then we switch over to Jesus and the blind man where the disciples see see this blind man outside of the temple and say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he yeah. was born blind? Yeah. Um, and Jesus famously responds, neither neither this man nor his parents. That's not why he's blind. He's blind so that my glory might be displayed in him. Um, And then we talk through how that might not feel like a good answer. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's the Bible answer, but it doesn't feel good. But then we talk about what does it actually mean though for his glory to be displayed in us? It's tender and beautiful and it adds meaning and worth and value to our life. And then we cut back to afflicted and um, she's actually the only chapter that I I literally 
cut and pasted out of her interview because the way she talked to her own heart um, about who God is and and I don't want to spoil the chapter, but God comes and meets with her in an incredible way. Um, while she's on that delivery table, giving birth to twins she know will not live. Um, so she has this experience with God. Um, and, it, and in many ways, it was an experience that proved to her what she already knew in her head, but it helped the truth sink down to her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and And just how she took comfort in the fact that she has a Savior who holds her with wounded hands and embraces her with scars. Um, and just how that can give her such hope and comfort in the middle of, of her pain. Um, and because I know these people, one of the great delights is seeing their stories continue to unfold. So if you've read the book, you know her story. Yeah. Um, Afflicted and her husband decided not long after the book um, went to the publisher that they were going to adopt. And they weren't going to just adopt babies that, you know, the infants everybody wants. They wanted foster children who felt unwanted. Wow. Because they knew what it was like to feel desperate for love and desperate to hold someone in your arms. And so they uh, recently adopted a five-year-old girl from the foster system. And she is, I just saw her a few weeks ago. She is beaming with delight to be a part of Afflicted's family. Um, so it's just a joy to see these painful experiences. That's what drove Afflicted and her husband to look within the foster system for kids who were older um, because of their own painful story. So it's just a joy to see this. You have me crying over that one there. Oh, my goodness. Yes, what, a, what a beautiful <laughs> outcome in that sense, just that, yes. that God does not waste our pain and he doesn't waste... The, the places where we're hurting the most or, yeah, like you were talking about him being sovereign over that. It's hard to see. And it's hard to see, like, how can your glory be displayed? Hurry up and show your glory through this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why this is happening. And yeah. that's that's a huge part of the questions we're, an- we're asking God is why, why, why? And and the consistent message of scripture is he he doesn't often answer the why, but he always gives us himself. He says, no, look at me. Look at who I am. You're asking the wrong questions many times. Yeah. It's not why, but who am I in this for you? Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I think, I mean, that applies to literally anything you can be going through. Like, I know my husband and I have walked through a situation in the last several years where we keep looking at each other and one or the other of us, maybe sometimes both of us at the same time will just say, why is God doing this? And mm-hmm. and we're learning to turn that question around like into God, who are you for us in this? Um, in this who yes. do you want us to be in this as we look to you? Um, it changes everything. It really does. It does. So it really does. Abby, what are some ways that you're finding God is transforming you through his word? You talked about, um, you touched on this, this idea of really just going back to God's word, finding out who he is. Um, and and that's such a big thing that we're about here at Women Encourage is Bible literacy. Yes. So, so what are some of these ways that you're finding God is transforming you through his word and just continuing to grow you in your understanding of his heart for you personally? Yes. And I love that that's such a big emphasis of what, of what y'all do because Apart from his word, we really can't be transformed. <laughs> and so I one of the major benefits of the season that I spent 450 hours with my face in the book of John, just asking that question, God, who are you? Who are you? So much of what I knew in my head, he transferred and, and it 
took it down and it rooted deep in my heart. And, and I love that. I love that you're encouraging women to be in the word because that truly is where we become transformed, where we behold him and it changes who we are. Um, and so generally speaking, my life is dictated by uh, the life of the church. <laughs> so whatever we're, I'm teaching and um, doing um, for our church is typically where I spend time in his word. Um, and so my dad and I are um, teaching a class together at our at our church on the four gospels. So we're doing a survey of the gospel and we're looking, it's such a fascinating class. I love teaching it. We're looking at what each gospel writer brings um, as he tells us about Jesus. So we're getting four different views of who Christ is told from different perspectives, um, told with different hearts. Um, So right now we're doing Mark and it's told from the perspective of Peter. And there's just so much tenderness sewn into this gospel um, that I just hadn't noticed before because I spent so much time in John, I kind of have <laughs> neglected some of the other gospels. So it's really fun to go back in and know John pretty well, but you know, go in with and see with fresh perspective, Jesus from these different perspectives. And one of the things that um, as we're studying Mark, we're seeing um, that Peter is through Mark is relaying all of this just personal um, remembrances of Jesus about like how Mark is the only gospel that says, um, they all record that Jesus says, let the little children come to me, but only Mark says, and Jesus scooped them up into his arms and held them when he blessed them. So it's this physical remembrance of Jesus. There's another part that, I mean, I like burst into tears as I was preparing because only Mark talks about how, they all talk about how Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and makes his way towards Jerusalem. Only Mark tells us that Jesus walked ahead of his disciples alone. And that they followed wow. behind yeah. him, arguing over who was going to be the greatest. Because Peter's remembering this man on a mission who was so alone and who only he could bear this cross. And so there's just these glimpses of that make my heart so much more tender towards Christ. Because he truly has suffered everything we're going to experience in life. There's never going to be a moment where I say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this and I don't think you understand. <laughs> He's been there. There's literally nothing you and I have experienced that Jesus cannot look at and trace that scar with his fingers and say, no, I know this. I know this pain because I have experienced this pain. I've accepted it into my own flesh so that when you come to me with this pain, I know how to comfort you in a way no one else can. And so it's just a joy. It's a joy to look at Jesus through these different eyes and look at him from different perspectives. And at the same time, I'm also studying um, the first chapter of Ephesians, which John Stott calls uh, Ephesians doctrine set to music, um, which is such a beautiful way to talk about a book. Um, And chapter one, especially is just all this doctrine that in the past, when I've approached Ephesians, I have, I want to confess, I have approached it with like, oh gosh, this is like one really long run on sentence and a lot of heady theology. And and I haven't seen, I haven't heard the music. And so I feel like I'm in this season right now where I get to camp out in Ephesians. I'm preparing it for a conference that I'm speaking at in May um, of 2020. And, and I'm sitting in it and I'm hearing the music by this, by the Holy Spirit's kindness to me. He's allowing me to hear the music. And it's just so beautiful to get caught up in a chapter that's all about how from before time began, God called you and loved you and set his heart on you. 
And so when the time was right, he sent his son to get you and he has redeemed you to be his inheritance. And he sealed you with his spirit because he will never let you go. And it's just this beautiful chapter that catches us up in a story so much bigger than our own, um, but so intimate and precious. And so I'm just, I'm thankful to get to listen to that music. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I needed this conversation today. I I really love what you're talking about, about what you're learning from Mark. That was so powerful because I needed to hear that about about suffering and how Jesus meets us in that. Oh, thank you. So this this cycle of podcast episodes, we've been really just trying to hone in on how we can be an encouragement to Mm -hmm. one another. And so I'm wondering if you would share with us just when it comes to our interpersonal relationships, especially with one another in our local churches, you know, discipleship relationships, uh, what are some of these ways that we can engage with each other, encourage each other, uh, just to trust God's heart for us? Uh, That's such a great question because I feel like, you know, we were talking about those, the lens we all wear, why do we have a cracked and broken lens? Because people tripped us <laughs> when we were younger. <laughs> We've been hit in the face. We've been tripped up. We are sinful people living in a sinful and broken world. And yeah, it's amazing to see that our lens in life is broken by others. And yet a huge part of the gospel of John is that upper room discourse, um, yeah. John 13 through 17, where he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another the way that I have loved you. Healing happens within community too. Brokenness happens in the world when we're in relationships with others. Healing happens. We relearn how to see God through community. And that's actually a big part through Christian community. That's a big part of the premise of the book. Every chapter, as you see their wrap up, you're going to see like they entered into a relationship with other believers who spoke the truth to them. Yeah, And it's so important for us I think to be doing two things in our relationships with others um, as believers, to be listening for the lies that the enemy has told us, that our brokenness has ingrained in us, that our own sinful patterns in life have told us is true about ourselves, that we listen for those things and that we counteract them with the truth of who God is. Because nothing breaks the power of sin over us like the truth of who God is. So and, and there's an exercise at the very back of the book that kind of walks you through how to do this for yourself. So if yes. that's not something yes. that you think, oh, I don't really know how to do that. Hey, don't worry. The book tells you. <laughs> yeah. And I was hoping you would talk about yes, this. That's great. Because I don't want to just give people concepts. I want to show you like, this is how we do this because this is a huge part of how Jesus is redeeming his entire world. He is saving people, bringing them into his church where we relearn what it means to be a family together. We relearn Mm -hmm. who God is together um, because we all see him from different angles because of our stories and our cultures and age and stage and all those things. And so one thing that I think is so important to be thinking through, so oftentimes when we hear someone is discouraged, we want to encourage them with like, you know what, you're a good person you've done all these other good things. We want to encourage them with themselves, which lasts yeah. <laughs> until the end of that conversation. <laughs> yep. Yeah, That's 100% nice. true. Yes. Oh, it's nice man. until I screw up again. <laughs> yep. And yep, my record it. of unrighteousness that you don't know is speaks far greater to me than the little bit of righteousness you see in me and are praising. And so truly, yeah. if we're really going to build each other up, 
we need to be singing about to one another about who God is. Our, our conversations should sound like Ephesians 1. <laughs> they should sound like, hey, this God has loved you from a long time ago. He has set his heart on you and he is never going to leave you or forsake you. We can trust him together. Yeah. And so together we point each other to a God who is so much bigger than ourselves, um, to a Christ who is beautiful and true, who's lived a perfect life um, so that we are freed from having to and given us his righteousness so that we're freed to get to just love him by obeying him. We're not obeying in order to gain his love. We're obeying because we are loved. And to remind each other that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now resides within each one of us that call Jesus Lord and Savior. So we can speak to each other about who God is and it can be empowering and beautiful and healing. And I know that this has, I've been the recipient of this so much in life where I've had men and women of the faith come alongside of me and say, I hear you saying this about yourself and you're believing this lie, but I want to remind you of who your God is and who he says you are. Believe in that and walk away from this conversation changed. And so we just, we need each other to do that for one another. We can't do it for ourselves. Oh, so good. Thank you. Well, I, think I love it. This is such a great time to be thinking about this. We often at, during the Christmas season look at our relationships and feel appreciation. Um, mm-hmm. And we look and see who God has brought into our lives. And so I think it's a wonderful season to not not stop there, like to, to look at those relationships and think, okay, God, why have you placed me here? What truth can I speak about you into the lives of those that you have you have brought into my sphere of influence and into into my heart. So true. And and on the flip side, I mean, for somebody who's especially struggling with relationships at the Christmas season, mm-hmm. you know, loneliness or um, or maybe difficult extended family or something going on in their personal life, you know, to remember also that God's heart is for them yes. and that this is why Jesus came is to actually to redeem this and to to really look and anticipate the way he's going to redeem us and i think that's one thing that i really appreciated so much about this abby this book that you've written is is it's um helped me to anticipate god's goodness for me mm. and not to just like you were describing you know kind of expect that god is just out to get me or out to punish me or something like that, which I know ultimately I know is not the truth, but, and yet that's my default mode. That's where yeah. my heart and my yes. mind just <laughs> go automatically. And yes. I actually, I feel kind of awkward admitting this on in a podcast episode, but I started seeing a Christian counselor earlier this year. And one of the things that she said to me, which I was so thankful for, actually, she said, you know, Bethany, your Achilles heel may always be that you don't that or that you struggle with believing that God loves you. Mm. And yet that the fact that you're aware of that now, it is empowering actually, yes. because you can actually identify that lie and identify the lie that God isn't loving you right now in this moment, or God wasn't present in this, in this pain. And you can identify that and you can speak the truth to that lie. And like you were saying, you know, there's nothing more powerful when it comes to defeating the lies, then knowing who our God is. Yes. And and I just am so thankful for this book, what you've poured into it, and for um, just the way you've communicated the Father's heart. So thank you thank so much. You. Oh, it means a lot to me to hear that because you do, you do hope that that's what, what people get from this is just that they walk away from this book feeling just the joy of, of the God who sings over them 
and who has committed himself to them, that he truly is in your corner and on your side. And, and I'm so thankful that that's what you heard. <laughs> well, and, and even just to remember that it's not because I've done so well and I've pulled it all together and I've, I've held up this great life before him yes. and I've said, now you can love me, you know, <laughs> he loved me just, just because he wanted to for, I, for his, no reasons that yes. are known to me yes. just because he wanted to. And I can just choose to believe that. Yes. So great. Thank yes. you. Oh, of course. So one last question that I ask every guest, what has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in your walk with him? I, I feel like this has been such a rich conversation and the stuff you were sharing that he's been teaching you, but is there any passage or book or specific person that he's been using in your life? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm going to go back to Ephesians only because I've been spending so much time in Ephesians, but one thing I like to do, um, when I'm studying a book is to listen to different preachers preach on it. Cause it's just fun to hear, you know, so many different views, um, ways that people see Christ within these scriptures that we're studying. And so I've been listening to, um, a young man named Ben Cunningham. He's a pastor of a church in new Orleans, which is such a different culture and context than the one I live in, in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and his church is called church of the resurrection. And he, preaches in such a way that he captures your heart, like almost right out the gate. And he's, so he's so Mm. deep theologically, but like he, he speaks to the heart almost instantly. And one thing I noticed, like I've, I've met him, it's, he's my brother's pastor who lives in New Orleans. My brother lives in New Orleans and I heard him preach once. And one thing you wouldn't know, um, unless you've actually watched Ben preach is that you hear him kind of sniffle a lot (laughs) and you think he needs to wipe his nose. Um, but it's literally because he is crying while he's preaching. Like he's so wow. caught up in who God is. And he preaches exactly like I just like I just said we should be preaching to one another. <laughs> he preaches right. like yeah. that. He preaches who God is, what has God already done for you, and how can you take his character and nature to the bank wow. and say, I stake my claim on you. Who you are is enough for me. And so I actually have to like limit myself to how many podcasts I allow myself to listen to in one day. <laughs> Oh, really? Because they're just so good. (laughs) But it's just been fun. I started with his Ephesians series and I'm just listening to all of them. But I think that's actually something that I too see a Christian counselor. So I'm going to identify with you on that because my inner dialogue, it, it gets out of hand so quickly and it's condemning and Mm -hmm. it wants to remind me of everything I've not done. Um, instead of reminding me everything that Christ has done. And so when I'm washing dishes and when I'm cleaning and my body is active, but my mind is free, um, my mind can go to places that are not healthy for me, um, and that are condemning and the enemy would love for me to clean in condemnation because I don't like cleaning anyways. (laughs) So then I'm just doubly grumpy, (laughs) but that is one thing that I learned years ago to listen to podcasts. Like, why would I waste that time, like redeem that time with people who are pointing me back to who God is? And I mean, I oftentimes, because I'm a crier, I cry while I clean because I'm like, this is just so beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting <laughs> me here at this toilet. You know? <laughs> I love this. I think this might be my favorite quote ever. I was sorting clothes the other day, listening to one of Ben's sermons. And I, oh, I'm just going to leave you with this just because it was a moment Jesus met me. So it's answering your question. Um, he was talking about, he's preaching on Uh, Jesus raising the little girl, the 12 year old girl from the dead. And he talked about Mm. how we have the Aramaic and we translate it, little girl, rise up, little girl, arise. But it's, Mm -hmm. it is, 
a colloquial term um, that would better be translated sweetheart or little darling that Jesus oh leans over this 12 year old. And in the same way, a mama would wake her child from sleep. He leans over and says, little girl, little darling, wake up. And in that he undoes the power of death over her. So I'm sitting there sorting my clothes. Like my shoulders are shaking. I'm sobbing so hard. And my daughter walks in my 15 year old and she's like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> what's happening here <laughs> yeah oh my goodness <laughs> but I'm just saying you can have these wonderful moments with Jesus while you get your chores done <laughs> oh it's so it's 100% true and I hope that's what women do with this podcast too. Yes. like go do your chores be encouraged but yeah I I can 100% relate and I love that we both appreciate the um the gift of Christian counseling yes it is to combat gift. the inner dialogue that yes. we have going on <laughs> takes a village. <laughs> it absolutely does. And, you know, it's so funny. One of my sisters had said to me, I think actually everybody should go to Christian counseling. There's nothing wrong with Christian counseling. And she absolutely. said, you know, nobody needs to be ashamed of that. We all need somebody to counsel us. It doesn't matter like who you are, or what you've been through. Maybe you've had the easiest life. You still need somebody to counsel yes. you. So I, just, I take comfort in that. Absolutely. And going back to very how we started this podcast, because we all have broken lenses and we think our lenses, yes. we look out of our lens and think it's perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah. So but we so do and have someone say, actually, that's not, that's not biblical. That's not what God is saying to you. <laughs> yeah. So. And that's probably been one of the most revealing things to me is having somebody say, oh, I think you're looking at the world wrong because when you get stuck in thinking, well, it doesn't, isn't this how everybody thinks? Like, yes. doesn't everybody see the world this way? And it's like, no, actually, it's like when, you, when my son, we found out my son was farsighted. And here I was thinking he had some kind of issue with, you know, what, why do you have to hold, pull your head back funny from the book when you're trying to read yeah. it? Now? And my the, the wonderful eye doctors, they just prefaced the whole conversation with, I just don't want you to feel like a terrible mother, but you need to <laughs> that know so that your son, yes, <laughs> your son has terrible eyesight. Like, I just don't want you to feel bad. Most parents don't catch this, but it's so true because you, you get into this pattern of thinking, like, if I, I would know if I was seeing the world wrong, like it would yes. be obvious to me, you know, it would be obvious not. to me if my son had bad eyesight, but it, no, it's just not. Yes, it's just and not. you need that. You need Christian community to help you with that. So yes, such a great, such a yes. great gift from the Lord. Well, thank you again. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Know, Bethany, so this great has been to... really fun. Thank you. Oh, it's great to connect. Thank you. Thank you.